What's up, what's up, y'all? This is Dave. And this is Devin. And you're listening to the Dave and Dev Podcast. Dave and Dev. Gotta keep it real like Dave and Dev. On my job like Dave and Dev. Tell no lie like Dave and Dev. Some days I wanna stay in bed, but I get ready for the day ahead. I wanna complain, but I pray instead. Then I'm on my way to the Dave and Dev. And it go like, I don't need a crew. Don't play by he say, she say rules. Don't play, no, we can't do. I'd rather have faith while G-O-D make moves. So please stay cool. All, all I do is speak the truth on things I see they do. I'm a sinner myself. No lie, I need grace too. We lit like EKU. Yeah. Hey, what's up, Devon? Yo, what's going on, fellas? What's up, man? I am super pumped about this podcast. Um, as you guys know, we recorded another podcast earlier today, um, and we're here with our newest friend to the show, Mr. Rondell Trevino, um, the director and founder of the Immigration Coalition. We'll talk more about that later. But Rondell, welcome to the podcast, sir. What's up, guys? I'm honored, excited. Um, I'm re- I was re- I'm, I was really looking for I'm really looking forward to this podcast because it's the first one that I get to talk about immigration and the Dallas Cowboys a little bit. So that's cool. I get to marry both oh, a little gosh. bit. So hey, hey, I'm Dave, both. Pa- I'm passionate about both. So no, I'm sick of sick of getting Cowboys fans on this show. <laughs> man. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Just end it right here. Um, so Rondell, man, tell us a little bit about yourself. Share that with the people about your life. Yeah, uh, Rondell Trevino um, was born in Texas, uh, Big Spring, Texas area. Um, lived there until I was 20, 20 21, moved to Memphis, Tennessee um, uh, in June of, 2000, of uh, 2009. Um, and God graciously saved me, ended up staying in Memphis for 10 years, um, met my wife there in Memphis, and uh, we had our two daughters in uh, Memphis, uh, and, and then we just moved nine months ago, 10 months ago almost, uh, back to Texas. Y'all moved in, in the middle of the pandemic? Texas. Yeah, we moved like on March 15th, 16th. It was like right when it started spiking. We were trying to get oh, as quickly as possible to, it was crazy. Wow. Know, we, we've yet to still experience like a real Austin yeah, traffic yeah. and all that. So yeah, God, we felt like God was leading us to come. And then when I, when we got here, I was like, God, I don't know what, well, I was listening to my flesh. I don't know what, I, <laughs> I don't know what we did. Um, but thankfully God, uh, has really blessed uh, the ministry and, and what we're doing here as we're closer to the, the border and immigration is just a really important topic here and um, we're all, we also are more like nationally known in some ways so it, you know I don't have to be in a specific place it's kind of just being a little everywhere with educating people and but being as close as we can to the border it's also a huge blessing so um, yeah we've been here I'm I'm also a, an associate pastor part-time at a church here in Austin, too, Hope Community Church. Um, 
primarily run TIC, but you know, do both, and it's been a, it's been a great blessing. I have a beautiful wife, Laura Sofia Gallegos, better than death, Vivino. I tell people like I always say the name because you know she's Latina if you say the name, and then <laughs> I have two daughters, Sophia's three, and Charlotte is two. Oh man, um, yeah, yeah, they're a blessing. They're really close in age, and I've got so much great hair. I got a haircut yesterday, and I was like, man, this is great hair. It just keeps. Just keeps coming out. <laughs> That's why I wear a hat. The, the gray hairs are un. I mean, it's bad. Yeah, when you get married and you have kids, they're coming. <laughs> well, I'm it's gonna, inevitable. I'm keep my jet black for it's a little just, bit. They're just, they're, just sign, they're just signs of sanctification. Devon, you're still in your rookie contract, man. This man's yeah. been married for like seven years, so you can't say nothing yet. Yeah, I, I'm keeping I'm keeping the jet black for right now. We don't get no kids involved, just married. That's it. You know, we don't – Oh, that's huge. I would think I would think that the Cowboys would stress you out even more. Oh, <laughs> oh, they do, they do. I'm, 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 I'm a Christian. I struggle with uh, being a, a knucklehead when I'm watching the Cowboys by myself. Well, yeah, I lost to the Browns. So, How you feel about that? Yeah, <laughs> the Browns. The Browns are good, bro. They Browns went to the playoffs. The he said the but, Browns are the Browns. You baited him, Devers. Don't do our mans like that. Oh uh, shoot! I like I I I was actually going for the Browns in the playoffs. They um they they didn't they didn't make it past uh yeah, but I I'm going for Tom Brady and the Bucks right now. Oh, see gosh. if he gets that seven. So you're gonna say so you're gonna beat Cowboys? You gonna disrespect me by the Cowboys and Tom Brady in the first ten minutes of the podcast? Tom Brady's the goat, man, dude. He just beat. He, isn't that crazy? He beat. He beat. Uh, he beat Aaron Rodgers in Lambo. That's hard to do. Yeah. I I'm just going. I'm not. You know. I just said this in the last podcast, but I'll repeat it again. I just. I just don't like greatness. Like Tom Brady, uh, LeBron James, Nick Saban, all of them. I don't. I'm. I'm not a fan of it. Like it, to me, he's it just a, gets annoying. He's a hater. I don't really like Tom Brady either, though, so I, I can say I'm a hater there, too. But he is the GOAT, and we can just leave it at that. But, man, what – like, are the Cowboys ever going to be good again, bro? You know, when, when you – I just think our defense is so bad, man. Like, we, we invested so much. You know, and you know – y'all know the NFL – when you have like the best offensive line or even your, your tailback, the window to be good all at once is really small in the NFL because you take so much poundage, right? So you got like Ezekiel LA has declined tremendously. A piece of that I think has been because the offensive line is, is terrible, not as good. We, we had injuries like crazy this year on the offensive line. Um, and then also there's probably a small decline because he's still young. Yeah. But he's been playing for four or five years, and that's a lot of lot of poundage for his average body. NFL players, three years. Yeah, exactly. So so you know, I feel like we're almost in a we're really close to like the rebuilding years, sadly. But we've been rebuilding for you know, since the nineties. <laughs> so, you know, and I, I think Dak it, it showed how you know it's interesting because I like Dak and I think we should sign him. I don't think he should get as much as he's asking. Um, because he he was he was leading the league in so, passing yards and touchdowns because we were always down by like three touchdowns, so he threw the ball like seventy times. Right. So it wasn't like he was killing folks with 
we were always losing. <laughs> so, um, so I, I think, I think, um, I think they have to, um, I, I do like the coach. Um, I, I think we, we need to sign Dak, but he needs to compromise and not want to get paid as much. Yeah. Or, you know, because you don't want the same thing to happen like what happened in Philly, right? I mean, yeah. they paid, um, what's his name, the quarterback? Wentz. Yeah, they paid him. And now he's like, I mean, he'll probably start again because they fired the coach, but yeah, he was, he was, he's been t- playing terrible. So I don't know, man. I, I think that we have to, we need to, we need to restructure the defense. The defense yeah. is terrible. I mean, for the last four or five years, we've been giving up with our safeties. That's Ever since Darren Woodson left, bro, like our safeties have been terrible. Darren our Woodson. corners are all right. Listen, listen. This, this Dallas is- has not been good since the 90s. I think I'm glad you said it because I was about to say you you got a lot of opinions for a team that sucks. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean I love the Cowboys, man. Like I, you know I, I know the players on the team, and here's the thing: our offense is, I mean, our receiving core is amazing. That's an amazing team. The core. That's an amazing crew. I mean, if you 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 give you give that group crew to you know to pretty much any quarterback in the league, they're gonna throw like Dak is. But I just think holistically. The defense is not good enough. You can't give up, you know, they for what several games they gave up 31 points a game. Right. So you, you, that ain't that's not gonna get you to the Super Bowl. So I'm still I still love them. I still this was probably the first year I actually towards the end. I didn't watch like I usually watch every game, the entire game, even if they're losing really bad. But there were a couple games I was like, I'm done. And I just turned it off and that's a life cried out to God in, in my prayer closet. <laughs> That's the life of being a Bengals fan, bro. We stopped watching about nine, ten games in religiously. So uh, it's the way it goes, man. Thirty years without a playoff win. Um, so I, I do have a question for you before we kind of get into anything else, because if I'm not mistaken, when you were in Memphis, you were at the church um, led by Brian Loritz. Is that right? Yeah, I was a pastoral resident there for a couple of years. I mean, he, I was. When I became a pastoral resident, I was under him for about six months. So I really didn't know him as well, but I I did learn, you know, we're in a preaching cohort, things of that sort. Yeah. So I I learned a lot from from him in some ways, especially like multi-ethnic ministry and things of that sort. So, yeah. He's super dope. I've I've listened to him on a lot of stuff. He's a good dude. Oh, he's probably one of the most gifted preachers. Um, He's a great which is a tough topic given now. I mean, he's it's a tough topic talking about him now because uh, a lot of stuff has transpired even at the church that he's at. So yeah. do, you know, uh, a lot of stuff happened years ago with with fellowship and um you know, with abuse and things of that sort. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. praying for the that the truth is known and, and I don't know the truth, but praying that God reveals the truth and um that the people who are restored are restored. So Oh, yeah, he's one of the most gifted preachers I've ever heard. I mean, anytime I'm, um, you know, studying the word, uh, you know, his sermons have, over the years have blessed me. So. Yeah, for sure. So, okay, let's go on to talk about the uh, the Immigration Coalition, okay? Um, tell us a little bit about uh, – about this organization, like, when did it start? Why Why did, like, because for, for the listeners who've never heard anything about this organization, tell us 
like what started, like what got your heart to start this organization? Yeah, I always tell people, you know, starting an organization, I think for any founder and director, because it's going to take a lot of work and you're basically fundraising, you know, that's my job, um, fundraising and casting a vision, which I love to do. You know, I, I, I was mentored in Memphis for years from uh, one of my heroes, his name's Larry Lloyd, and he started, he has started maybe 40, 50 ministries in Memphis, wow. D.C. And yeah, and has... Um, you know, uh, he's raised over you know hundred million dollars over forty years, and and I've always, I was always just attracted to his entrepreneurship, and and um, and so uh, I learned a lot from him. And when I was in Memphis, I was like, man, I don't, I don't know if I want to, you know, start something on my own. But I'm passionate about immigration, and it primarily came from my pa- being married to my wife, who's an immigrant who were excited that, you know, she's been here four years. She took the naturalization test in San Antonio a couple of weeks ago and crushed the test. And so she's yeah. about to be a U.S. citizen. So I'm really excited oh, about that. Yeah, so she, awesome. And we actually, we, yeah, we also just brought her on too as our operations and finance director um, for TIC. So that's, it's a huge blessing we get to work together. I make her less mad now. So that during staff <laughs> meetings, she's not like cussing at me in Spanish or something. I'm just like, <laughs> um, no, we see, uh, she's been a huge blessing for us, even just in that last two weeks that she started. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was just a, a passion to 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 start something fresh, um, not reinventing the wheel when it comes to comes to immigration. A lot of organizations that we love, um, and that I'm that I appreciate are uh, heavily policy, you know, and 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 I'm there too when it comes to thinking about immigration reform you know, talking to legislators in Washington, things of that sort, that's very important. Um, and so when we started the Immigration Coalition in Memphis, um, which has been a couple of years ago, maybe even three years ago, it was more grassroots. I, f- I honestly feel like we were just, a, we just started again because we restructured our organization eight months ago when we got here to Austin. Um, but but uh, all that to say, Previously, before we moved to Austin, we were heavily podcast episodes, training, and we still do that this, that stuff. We train churches, speaking, even right now, you know, like podcast, uh, you know, invitations where we want to talk about immigration and what we're doing. Uh, we train churches, speaking at conferences, uh, articles, um, fact sheets, things of that sort, and 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 I loved it. It was almost like your hundred thousand foot level, you know, when it comes to immigration. Um, but I was, I, I've always been more passionate about like, man, I want to get hands on. I want to like directly proximity breeds empathy. So I'm like, how do you, how do you, how do you bridge that gap for the church to, to be more empathetic? Um, and can we do it around a topic that is, um, you know, that, that isn't per se all around immigration when conservatives or progressive Christians see it, they're not, oh, it's just political, right? Mm-hmm. but it really draws them in and they're able to see the humanity in people. And so when we got here to Austin eight months ago and COVID has been going on, it was a great opportunity for us to, to, to regroup and say, man, what can we do as an organization that um, is hands-on and, yeah. and by God's grace, he opened up, you know, the opportunity to, to help us with our research in, in, in learning about the need for, for clean drinking water 
along the entire U.S.-Mexico border. And so uh, right now there are 13 million plus Latinos, immigrants, migrants um, along the U.S.-Mexico border who uh, who lack access to, to clean and safe drinking water, wow. not only on the Mexico side, but on the U.S. side. And they're in these communities, they're called colonia communities. And they're labeled as uh, communities that are deeply under-resourced, uh, who lack education, things like that. If you were to categorize uh, the U.S.-Mexico border as a state being you know, number one in poverty, Number one in the lack of uh, resources, hepatitis, diabetes. Wow. Um, and yeah, it's just it's devastating. And it's been like that for years. It's, it's, it hasn't been, you know, something that transpired under President Trump or Obama or whatever it may be. It's been, this has been going on for years. Right. Yeah. And so when we found this, so we were like, oh, this, no one, when you think about water organizations like Charity Water and these big organizations that do really cool stuff that I love and I've learned from over the months um you know they're they're in villages in africa and different parts of the country or world uh building wells and and it's a beautiful thing and it's needed um we're like man our niche can be specifically water delivering water providing water along the u.s mexico border to latinos immigrants and migrants like this is the like this is a whole new area that no one's ever even talked about right? right that there are immigrants in need of water and we started at the tent camp in Matamoros, which has gotten so much media attention over, you know, um, the last two years. And they need to clean drinking water. So, as an organization, we started just saying, "Hey, let's provide the water." And every every week for the last nine, ten months, we've provided uh, every family with 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 clean water through wow. water jugs because we don't want to build a well. We didn't want to. Uh, put a water tanks because we want them to be processed so water jugs uh, are easier for us and then we just launched um and there are a thousand families in that tent camp as they wait for to seek asylum wow and then we just launched a couple months ago uh six uh, 2500 liter water tanks uh in another colonial community about 10 minutes south of that tent camp in matamoros where there's around uh, 3,000 to 4,000 families, which we need more water tanks there eventually. So we're serving a total of 8,000 people every day with clean drinking water along the border mm-hmm. in those two locations right now. But the problem is big, right? There's 13 million. So our hope is that we, you know, this year we're, we're already thinking about going to three more colonial communities, but our, our vision is for uh, every Latino migrant immigrant who need access to clean water uh, that they really get water and they have it every single day. Um, and it's been a, it's been a, an interesting approach for us because we're, you know, we're along the border. And so you, you know, I've had some conversations with organizations and people who provide water in different parts of the world. Um, and from, you know, they're providing water in villages, but we're by cities, right. And it's along the border and it's by the U S side. It's just, it's just a different area. So you have to think different. There's an immediate need with the water tanks. And so now we're even, it's really hot along the entire border. So we're looking into, um, you know, solar systems that, pro- that, that water systems that provide the water through, through, wow. through the sun. Um, so there's a lot of different approaches and we're just learning about it and we're new to it. It's been, you know, nine, 10 months in the making. So yeah, um, that's awesome. we're really excited. 
it, I mean, it, and uh, I know Dave has a question for you in just a second, but it just, it's, it sounds like you all are like countering what the argument is against other people. Like people are just coming in here just to take advantage of things. It's like, no, you're providing resources to people who actually, who actually need these things. So that's, that's, I mean, that's, that's great. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, that's our mission. Yeah, our, our main mission has become providing clean drinking water to Latino immigrant and migrant communities along the U.S.-Mexico border. And right now we're in those two locations in Matamoros. Um, and and we're going to, we're soon going to be in Arizona in a location providing clean water, wow. uh, another area in Mexico, and then one on Texas, on the Texas side. Um, so uh, we, our hope is that we can do two or three projects a year. Yeah. Um, because, because we want to be able to build uh, and train the people to take ownership of the water themselves. Um, so what our, go, our strategy is we identify the community, we build relationships with the community leaders that are in the community already. So we're, you know, although we're more national, we raise the money, we provide the water. When we get there, they might know us, but they know the people who've been there for years, more than us. Right. And they take ownership of the water themselves, which creates sustainability. And then we invite churches organizations and people of goodwill to say, hey, you know, I want to provide uh, clean drinking water for a family along the border and it's $48 a year or, or it's $4 a month. So we make it affordable for people to, so to partner. So $48 a year. That's it. Yeah, $48. Yeah, $48 uh, for one year will provide clean drinking water for a family for an entire year That's or $4 important. a month. Yeah, so we make it affordable for people on, uh, uh, especially during COVID, we make it affordable for uh, for folks who, who want to partner with us. And then also, hey, if people want to donate anything, whatever they want for future water projects, because this is something that's going to be, you know, for years to come. It ain't going away. Um, <laughs> it's not going away. So we're trying to, you know, uh, the, that helps as well. So for sure, uh, it's it's been fun. Yeah, no doubt. So I, I kind of want to set the stage here. You know, Devin mentioned it earlier, like there's people that are going to listen to this podcast or watch this on YouTube or, or wherever, and they're going to be like, where's our baseline here? Who are these people? So kind of this question I want to ask that that really is ground level, base level for us is what, so the people that you encounter, you know, you mentioned several different words, right? I think that we as Americans, we classify people that are at the border as like, uh, you know, people that have escaped their country. Like they're like just. Yeah. It's, I mean, I hear this stuff all the time. It's like illegal and yeah, yeah, yeah. criminals. Like the same. I mean, I feel like I'm flashing back to four years ago, but it's like they're, they're trying to smuggle things in and all these different yeah. things. So like the picture that you're painting for me, I'll be honest with you, uh, Rondell. My, I thought, I didn't think like, that like how you're thinking maybe like five years ago until I actually met I had I had a student that was undocumented and they and she told mm. me about her experience and that changed everything and so that I mean so go ahead Dave I'm sorry to cut you off you're you're good no you're spot on though so what I want you to do Rondell is kind of explain the difference between an immigrant a migrant an asylum seeker legal illegal if you can kind of just like really put that in a, in a perspective for us and our audience. Yeah, yeah. An immigrant is someone who uh, travels to another country for short or long-term stay. Um, and, and you have 
uh, immigrants who come legally, um, which the majority do come to the United States legally, they just overstay their visa and become undocumented. Um, and then you have uh, some who are, are migrants who, who are fleeing persecution um, or economic hardship or gang violence or human potential human trafficking and they're fleeing their home country to migrate to to a new land um a lot of times the asylum seeker and migrant are almost like crossover words okay <laughs> and there's different definitions for some um and asylum seekers almost the same thing their, their intention is to come and seek asylum they want to seek asylum in a new country usually the united states uh for for safety because of uh, abuse or violence or political persecution in their own country. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times they, they come and, and that's what they want to do. And, that, you know, what's fascinating is that, you know, you have those 1,000 plus families that are living in the Matamoros uh, area right across, I mean, right when we crossed the bridge, the Brownsville, Texas bridge, uh, literally 100 feet from, from, the, from the bridge uh, and the port of entry, that's the, the tent camp is right there. So they're actually living in this tent camp legally and because they want to pursue asylum legally. And they've been there for two years living in these tents. Wow. You think about living with children, babies, they've had children there, they've had babies there, infants, um, you know, they, you know, they bathe there uh, and, and they're not trying to come undocumented. They're, they're, they're wanting to do it the right way. And most of them, and here's the fascinating thing, most of them in the tent camp that we provide water, uh, we have that colonial community that we provide water with the 4,000 families, but the, the 1,000 families where we started our first work, uh, the majority of them there are Christians, and they love wow. Jesus, and they're our brothers and sisters in Christ, and I've met many of them who are pastors, and then you have hundreds of children, you just got babies and children just hanging around, and they're super joyful, and um, and and just, you know, it's just devastating to see that they're, the trauma that they're probably going to have to deal with as they get older because they live in tents and uh, the living situations have been a little tough. But they, um, the water, the yeah. water that we provide has been a huge blessing for them. And uh, it's been, it's been able to help them as much as possible. But the hope is that they get, you know, processed and we don't have to do that, right? That's yeah, the goal. Right. And um, that's and another so, thing I was ignorant about because I thought like, I, um, so my, my wife's family, they're from the Philippines. And um, when they migrated over here, it took them like seven years to become citizens. Yeah. And so I thought in like, the Philippines come over, you know, it's just that you come over, they give you a test, you pass the test, you're good. It takes a couple minutes. I'm like, so when this issue was happening, when I first was well, been happening, but when I first was hip to 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 this i'm like what what are these people doing they shouldn't take that long and it took someone else who was actually who actually went through it to explain to me now this takes years some people oh, some yeah. people in the country for like 20 years and they still haven't gotten yeah i mean you're talking about the visa backlog process which when when trump and even the covid in general that has halted uh, visa processes and immigrant visas because of covid um, and even before that, because, you know, respectfully, the last administration seemed like they, didn't, they wanted to keep out as many immigrants as possible. It's actually created more of a backlog of visas. And so you have all these, you know, 101 million plus visa backlogs. 
and people are waiting in Mexico currently 25 plus years for their visa to wow. get looked at. The Philippines is one of the worst places um, to get a visa uh, as they're waiting for so long. So you, you, because the process is inconsistent and they're not going to hear back and they might not even look, they might not even look at your, your, your application for mm. years. A lot of people don't have years to survive if they're being attracted to gang violence or human trafficking or even economic hardship. Right. So, they say, hey, you know, if I, you had, if you had, if you had two, you know, me, my two daughters and my wife, and I had no money, I mean, you know, living in the tent camp would be the best option because I actually have a, some kind of hope that I'll be able to be processed and allowed right. in the U.S. And, but at the same time, I want to say, um, the majority of immigrants that I've met, migrants and asylum seekers along the border, all good people. Uh, some aren't Christians, some are. They're really kind, gracious people. There are some, though, that's important. This is important to note. Um, this is why we need compassion and love for immigrants, migrants, and asylum seekers and uh, border security, because there are numbers where human trafficking comes through the U.S. Uh, from uh, uh, immigrant smugglers. Drugs come through from immigrant smugglers. Uh, you know, there's been stories where uh, immigrant smugglers will even, uh, uh, you know, bring kids to the border to act like they're seeking asylum, and yet, you know, they have a, have abused the children on the way going to the border. So there is a need for border security where we can uh, sift through and make sure that those immigrants who don't need to come in, who will not bring flourishing to the country, don't come in because we are. Loving our our neighbor as ourself also includes those in America, not just immigrants yeah. coming. So holistically, we do need that border security, better technology along the border, uh, barriers in specific places to keep out drugs, sure. to keep uh, out human trafficking. Um, and then when we're able to do that, we're able to focus more, you know, on the 1,000 plus families that actually deserve to come in and right. and seek asylum if that makes sense yeah for sure so I, I, you you just touched on something that i kind of want to flesh out um <clears throat> you know i'm going to pose this question to devon because you know for me i kind of want to set the stage for the, the second part of it and that is like devon what do you feel like the average american i'm going to say american christian but i, I kind of just want to broaden this to what what do you think the average american response to immigration and border security is yeah i i depend i think it depends on who you ask for so so if i'm if i'm representing america right now my answer uh i would say that half of us will say that we need to tighten up security at the at the border and don't let anyone in unless they they wait their turn because everyone else has waited their turn and from other countries. Or there's there's people who just want it just to be like a floodgate, just let them in, just open open the border in, no processing, just let's just let them in. And yeah, so I think I think if that answers your question, Dave, that's yeah. what I think most I, people think. I think another thing that I hear a lot, especially from, um, I think people that are in like that have families is like, well, why would they put their families at stake um, to, to go to the border and potentially subject themselves to, you know, um, violence or 
uh, lack of resources, things like that. So that th th those are definitely things that I hear frequently uh, when this matter is brought up. So Rondell, I, I kind of want to pass this back to you and ask, you know, in your discussions with uh, immigrants, migrants, asylum seekers, uh, Latinos at the border, why do they say, you know, you kind of touched on this earlier, but why do they say they risk their lives for this, for the opportunity to come into the United States? And is it worth it to them? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, when you have, when you're fleeing persecution and economic hardship and, you know, even my wife can educate most people on this, but just the governments in general that in those countries um, are, are uh, you know, have gone through years of just unorganization, brokenness, you know, lack of accountability in many ways. So that's, and then that, that fleshes out um, into, into how, how and why the, the people are so poor and living in conditions that are just so devastating. So, yeah, I mean, if you have a family, you know, and I, and as Christians, you know, we can't, uh, our posture has to be welcoming, right. And, and merciful. So I'm not for undocumented, uh, uh, you know, immigration. I'm not for immigrants coming undocumented. But if someone comes undocumented, my first thing will not be, you need to go to get in line and go back on your site and apply right, rightly. Um, this is not, that's not gonna, that, that, that's not the posture of Christ, right? Yeah. How do I show, I wanna show mercy because although in some ways that they might deserve uh, to, to be detained because they came undocumented, I'm gonna show mercy and compassion uh, because that's what Jesus would call us to do so that we can uh, befriend this person and even help them get right with the law. I tell people all the time when you think about Romans, uh, Romans, uh, I believe it's five, five, or Romans five, when it says, you know, we, by God's grace, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, not like I had to get right before I had to get rid of my sin. And then Jesus said, Oh, now you qualify. I'll love you. While I was in my sin and I was broken and I was as lost as can be, he still died for me and loved me and showed mercy. I think it's the same thing when it comes to undocumented immigrants, even if they're undocumented uh, and have broken the law, while they have done that, it's not I hate and I kick them out and I detain them. As a Christian, my job is to, while they are undocumented, I love them and I show mercy and I show grace and I befriend them as Christ has called me to. That's loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, and it's, it's, when you do that, you're not saying, oh, I'm for open borders and I'm for amnesty. No, you're loving your neighbor as yourself. And you can do that while still being against them being undocumented, but be befriend them, get to know them, hear their story. And most of the time, because that proximity breeds empathy, it'll lead to a friendship and you'll even start learning from, from them yourself. I want to touch what you talked about when you asked, uh, Devrin, the question about, you know, folks who, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to immigration, where they usually lean, you hit it right on the head, uh, Devrin, you know, folks are either too far right, hey, just border security, border security, get in line, um, or you have on the other side, it's compassion, compassion, uh, open the borders, you know, and these are just two extremes on both sides that have, that's why immigration reform won't even get passed. Yeah, um, it's kind of like our and, theology. And that's why they, it's, it's taken so long. Like, yeah, I'm, it is. It is. What happens? We're just too grace-filled. Exactly. And, 
and I you know, also think it's because many people view the Bible as a buffet, like they're at a restaurant and they're at a at CC's Pizza, and they're like, oh, I want this slice, but I want this slice. And I think that's what happens. You got folks on the, who might be more progressive theologically who are not even going to read Romans 13 because they're like, I don't want that piece, but I want that compassion piece and doing justice. <laughs> and you have more on the conservative right who might be like, you know, I'm, I'm all for border security, Romans 13, obey the law of the land. But, oh, I don't want, you know, the justice stuff. That's Marxist. And that's that's has nothing to do with Christ. That's not a part of God's character, even though it's clearly in scripture. And so you have these two sides and they just it's a toxic relationship and and it just hurts the conversation. And so we have to continue as Christians to say you can do both and you should do both. As yeah. Christians, I can do justice. I can evangelize. I can share the gospel, show compassion to immigrants, migrants, and asylum seekers, even undocumented. Um, and at the same time, seek to obey the rule of law, which leads me to want to seek to pass comprehensive immigration reform because the law is so broken and so messed up. Yeah, and I don't have to choose either or. It's kind of like creating that new narrative in a sense, and so. Um, I've been to your website and I suggest anyone who's listening to this, watching this, go to the website. It's really dope. You got some good resources there that people that's really useful for, for people. But uh, one of the things that I noticed that you say a lot and that we say on this podcast, but I want to see here you flush it out a little bit, is that you say you're pro-life from the womb to the tomb. So can you explain to people yeah. what exactly does that mean? Like, because I, I, I get the sense like right now, we're at this time in Christianity where people are like, they're starting to get a little like tense whenever people say that. Like, well, wait, wait, wait a second. You sound like a social justice warrior here. What does it mean when you say womb to the tomb? Yeah, it, it's a, I think it's, it's a holistic theological uh, view of human life. Right. Yep. Um, I, I, and it's not negating. And this is why I think sometimes folks might wrestle with it. They feel like when you when you make it from the womb to the tomb, being pro-life, that it it almost dehumanizes being pro-life for the unborn. When mm -hmm. in actuality, if we are pro-life from the womb to the tomb, including from unborn babies to immigrants, black lives, poor the poor, abused, uh, the LGBTQ community in the sense of loving them and caring for them and befriending them, even while disagreeing, um, you know, caring for refugees migrants, things of that sort, then then we're holistically living the way Jesus calls us to. And and the way he, uh, it's a, being pro-life from the womb to the tomb is obeying the greatest commandment. It's loving your neighbor as yourself. And it doesn't, you know, the religious lawyer in the Good Samaritan only wanted to choose and love those who he thought was his neighbor, but he didn't know who his neighbor, his neighbor, he wanted to love the neighbor who looked, viewed, thought and acted and voted like him yeah jesus uh -oh. said, uh -oh. this is okay, okay. The, go ahead go ahead go ahead it's, it's radically different right the, the jesus approaches you're called to love people who think act view and vote differently than you hey i'm about to throw um, a and you give me high so <laughs> yeah so no but at, you know as christians that's how, that's how we're called to um to approach things and i i think uh, being pro-life from the womb to the tomb is is deeply theological and Not, you can start from you can even start from genesis right genesis chapter one everyone's creating god's image yeah so and, that, and that's the basis you know, of our we, dignity right there is is because we're, we're everybody's 
everybody deserves respect, dignity, love, and friendship, even if you disagree. Um, and you, I, don't and this, I think that's the thing. I think, I think that's a political statement to say that everyone deserves dignity. I think that's a, that's oh, exactly. a political statement to say that. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. Exactly. That's we, good. We got a statement over here, Rondell. Devon's wearing it on your shirt, man. Love your neighbor, bro. <laughs> That's what we say every every time we're on the podcast. Like, there you go. I love like, that. <laughs> love your neighbor, bro. And, and and you say it so well. Like something that like is so funny to me. And I, I told you this on the phone the other day, bro. Is like I share a, a lot of stuff on Facebook and, and on Instagram and, and different you know social media platforms. Aside from my family posts about my kids or my wife or whatever, the posts that get the most engagements are yours. And I think it's because you sit in this space that's so countercultural, right? It's counter to the world mm. in the sense that when people that are, are progressive, you know, worldly viewers um, or, you know, the, the conservative right, the ultra conservative right, um, you sit in a space that kind of upsets both. Like you have the tendency that you can make both of them equally mad in one tweet to the next, right? Like, it, so, you know, for yourself, like, how do you fit in that space and like be comfortable with the fact that you're kind of see you're kind of getting that like headbutt from both sides of like not necessarily even the political spectrum but the political spectrum and the and the religious spectrum like how do you sit there and like like just be okay with that yeah one of the one of the reasons i'm able to sit in it is because i i honestly don't read a lot of my comments especially on for you <laughs> so i i my wife will go through sometimes and she's be like did you see what this person said i'm like <laughs> no because it probably would hurt my feelings and you know i and sometimes i'll engage though um in dialogue just to be like uh, kind and respectful and even but it's so gracious that. bro you do it so graciously i try yeah i try i try to be um uh, and you know like for example the tweet that i came out the other day was uh, if pro-life to you only applies to unborn babies, then you're pro-birth, not pro-life. If pro-life to you only applies to immigrants, black lives, poor, et cetera, then you're pro-human outside of the womb, not pro-life. Being pro-life applies to life inside and outside of the womb. Um, yeah, that one, that one right there, you, like you said, David, it'll, it'll spark the right and the left. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. So yeah. And, and I, um, I feel confident in in it because uh, you know, I I feel like it's it's uh it's biblical. Right. I mean, I just yeah. it's biblical. I mean, God, you know, God in His Word talked about I formed you in your mother's womb. Um, you know, I I created you, and then He talks about you know calling the Israelites to love the widow, to love the poor, to love the stranger. And, it's, mm. and even the old Testament, he's even in the old Testament, he's pro-life from the womb to the tomb. And then Jesus comes on the scene and actually, you know, while the Pharisees are saying you can't get near a leper or you can't, and these all these stipulations, he's actually engaging with, with the woman at the well. He's engaging with, you know, um, uh, use the perfect example of the good Samaritan engaging with the beaten man on the side of the road when the priest and Levite walk on the other side. So, when people only, I think, narrow uh, being pro-life to the unborn, then they're going to be like the priest and Levite and say, oh, because I'm pro-life only for the unborn, when I see the undocumented immigrant on the side of the road, I'm not going to help them because this is what pro-life means to me. That's a narrow view of pro-life. Mm, but yeah. if, our pro, if our pro-life understanding of 
of uh, from a theological perspective broadens from just not just the unborn which is vitally important but also the immigrant the black life uh the poor then when i walk by the side on the side of the road i'm not going to walk away from the person because i'm too busy or it, it would it would bring shame or i'd be dirty and i have to be i have to be cleansed in that context I'll, i'm gonna be i'm gonna be moved to compassion because this is what i'm called to do i'm supposed to show compassion for anybody in need right and i think the good samaritan shows us what that looks like to, you know in a profound way yeah. so Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So, you know, a, a question I have more, you know, specifically um, around the immigration coalition is like, you know, you, we talked about it earlier, like the, the water crisis is probably not ending anytime soon. Um, so what if you could say, OK, here's the goal for the next, uh, you know, three to five years, you kind of mentioned the, the different colonias and everything like that, like, like, what does that look like from a practical perspective, like for you guys right now? Like what kind of planning are you guys putting in place right now to get to that place, you know, those projects every year? Yeah, our, our hope is just continuing to just uh, slowly and yet steadily um, uh, go into these two or three communities every year, right? Um, and there's this one illustration from a church when they donated to us and they're like you know you know here's some wisdom and it was a profound illustration uh it was uh, this organization that said hey they were in this african village and there were 150 villages and they needed water and so he was like the founder was like we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna provide clean drinking water through wells um for every single one uh, over the next four years and they ended up doing it and when they did it um after four years by the time he got done with all 50, 150 wells by the time he got done uh, with the last one all the previous wells were were uh not working wow. and so it was basically an illustration that you know you got you need to take your time in doing that stuff and you can't tackle the problem in four in four years because if you're not there in the community and, and you don't get to know the people and you don't build a relationship with the people and you don't share the gospel and you don't train the people to take ownership of it then it's going to eventually it's going to fail so for us we're trying to do it in a steady steady pace um uh, uh as and patient in the colonial communities that we're that we're choosing to partner with so um yeah that's our hope our hope is to go into two or three every year. Um, and as we grow prayerfully, we'll just, we'll, we'll see where, where it takes us from there. But God has really been good to us. And um, we've had people from all around the world partner with us. We just had somebody from Australia partner with us yesterday. And um, wow. That's we've amazing. had atheists, Buddhists, people from different religions partner with us. So wow. it's been really cool. That's yeah, awesome. it's, it's been really cool, man. Mm -hmm. it's been uh it's been awesome and i i've really loved it so speaking of partnerships uh we got a we're gonna do a partnership with with you yeah all right yeah and, i'm and, excited yeah so dave can you explain a little bit more about what we're gonna do with this collaboration yeah absolutely absolutely um so first of all i i think it was a, a month or two ago another uh 
church or organization uh, made some shirts and they were super dope. It was like a really cool idea. And this was literally right around the time that Devin and I were launching our own merch. And um, I hit you up like a shot in the dark. I know you don't know me. Like I'm, I feel like we're homies, but like, I know we don't know each other for real, for real. But I was like, I want to partner with you. Like, whether or not you come on the podcast, I would love for you to be on the podcast. Or whether or not you come on the podcast, we want to collab. We want to do some sort of merchandise to raise awareness. Uh, and I mean, Devon lives in Kentucky. I live in Indiana. Uh, you know, but to raise awareness in our community amongst our friend groups about what you guys do. And so I'm so excited that you were able to be on the podcast today because I feel like they'll kind of hear it. Uh, it'll be, you know, like you trying to be in front of a meeting and raising support, but they, they hear it and they hear the actuality of what is done every day for your, your organization. Um, but also to have a visual reminder. Um, so what we want to do is we're, we're going to have a t-shirt that launches on daveanddev.com. Um, it will be up in the next 48 hours, but we are counting on everybody listening to this podcast, all the people that follow us on Instagram, uh, on, on Facebook, uh, YouTube. We're counting on all the people that follow Rondell, that follow the in- Immigration Coalition. We are going to be putting up a vote for 24 hours. Uh, we're going to start that here in the next hour or two, so it'll last the entire day tomorrow, and uh, we're going to be putting it up for a vote. The best t-shirt design wins. We'll post it on our website. Endeavoring, what is the goal? All right. So our goal, so this is crazy because we want to raise $1,000 for the Immigration Coalition. Okay. Now, mind you, you just heard that he said for $48 a year, you can support a family. Rondell, can you tell us what $1,000 would do? Man, that would... That would be profound. It would serve tons of families. I don't know specifically in math. What two, four, six, eight, ten? At <laughs> hey, least twenty. 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 Yeah, my wife's next to me, and she's like, "You don't try to do your math." Um, <laughs> no, um, it, it, it would be it would it, it would be more than it would be around twenty plus families that would have clean water for. An entire year, and we're talking children, uh, mothers, fathers, um, and and it would be profound in in the tent camp community where there are a thousand uh, migrant and, and asylum seeking families, and then the colonial community where we uh, serve four thousand Latinos, mm. immigrants, and 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 migrants, and even to this day, for eight you know the past eight months we've. We're serving 4,000 families total, 8,000 total people. Uh, We provide 5,500 plus gallons of water every week. And over the last eight months, we've provided over 115,000 gallons of water. So shirts would just be one, cool to wear. And then also uh, it would just help us to continue to raise those numbers to serve families. And the goal is to serve these families. It's not for TIC, it's not, um, you know, for publicity, it's for us to all like, and, and I love that y'all are doing this. It means a lot to me um, for us to care for the, 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 the poor, to care for immigrants and welcome them and love them as Christ would call us to. Yeah. So, so one thing that's really important is that, you know, for our listeners to understand that, that these shirts are going to be $25 uh, no matter what size you wear. 
100% of the proceeds are going to go to TIC. Devon and I are not making a dime off of these shirts. Uh, as y'all know, we don't care about this. Like, like, like our goal is to serve people on this podcast um, and to love them well. And what better way than to partner with you guys? And so the other thing that I want to mention that's really important is that if you do not want to buy a shirt, if that's not something that interests you, please go to the Immigration Coalition website. Literally, if you Google Rondell, if you Google Immigration Coalition, it pops up top two to three results. We're not talking like you're going to have to dig on Google. Like this is easy money and go on there and click donate. Like I don't like this has nothing to do with, with Dave and Dev. I mean, that's fantastic. Like we're excited about the shirts. Like we love this partnership. We hope to continue it for years and years and years and years. But like, this is about raising money for this organization to, continue to be able to serve and be able to serve more and more and more families um, down the road. We want to be a part of the three to five year plan. You know, we want to be a, a, a piece of goodness for that um, and not for our sake, not for your sake, but for the sake of the, the, the kingdom of God, you know? So I think that's, what's really mm -hmm. important. And so, so that's the one thing. Rock with us. If you are. rock with Dave and Dev, if you've been listening to us, if you support us in any way, buy buy a t-shirt or donate that's like this is this is priority right now we 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 want to help these families we want to serve these families this is kingdom business all right so let's we got to go facts. out there and support them big facts so Amen. Amen. that that's that's what we're you know really excited about you know i think i teased it like a month ago on the podcast like i cannot wait till like we get to tell about this and so it's here like we're really excited rondell um, but I want to say this, this show ain't over. This show ain't over. We got a few more things to cover. Um, so before we get into the rapid fire, we got two more questions for you, Rondell, kind of surrounding all yeah. of this. Um, so, so the first question I have is, is in your mind, if you could point out, man, two to three resources uh, we'll include the Immigration Coalition in the resources, but what what's two to three resources that, that people could um, go out and find, whether that's at, at a library, on Amazon, on Google, a book, whatever. What are some resources that you recommend to people that are trying to learn more about the situation of what's really going on at the U.S. and Mexico border? Yeah, I would say uh, if, if you want to get a theological framework on on immigration, uh, I, the book that I love the most uh, for me personally is uh, it's from Daniel Carroll. He's a PhD professor at uh, uh, Wheaton in Chicago, uh, uh, Guatemalan as well, and wow. half Mexican, I believe. Um, solid brother. Um, you won't hear about him on social media. He don't have one, but the dude is uh, one of my heroes on the immigration heat. He has a book called, um, uh, I believe it's called uh, Immigrants at the Border, Ministry at the Bo Christians at the Border. Um, and, and he just talks about the framework in which we are called to love, uh, to love immigrants. Mm. Um, and it, 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 he helps us to frame our thoughts, view them from the image of God before you watch a news station, view them from the image of God before you uh, you know, uh, listen to your favorite politician on the topic, and that way you're able to sift through truth and know what's what's uh, what's wrong. Yeah, so it's called Christians at the Border. 
That's really awesome. good book. I also would recommend shoot everything that Tim Keller says about justice. I would say people need to read on. I mean, the dude is prophetic in so many ways and I love his book, Generous Justice. Uh, it's, it's one of the most important books to me um, behind the Bible that, that I love to even revisit. He talks about biblical justice. Biblical justice is giving somebody what they are due, either punishment or protection or care. And so it's not, you have, a, you have some folks who are more conservative that view biblical justice as only punishment for wrongdoing. Yeah. And that's why some can look at undocumented and be like, they need to be punished and sent back home. But it's not just that, it's also compassion and love. Mm-hmm. And then you have some on the other side that might, oh, it, biblical justice is just caring and loving. No, it's not that either. It's also um, punishment for wrongdoing. And so when you look at it, when you look at biblical justice, knowing that it, it's, it's from Tim Keller, knowing that it's an even biblical, knowing that we're called to, to show compassion and love and give them protection, and then at the same time, punishment for wrongdoing. And when you look at an undocumented immigrant, then you're like, huh. Well, maybe they pay a fine if they've been here for years, which is punishment for being here undocumented, but also they deserve protection and care because they make America better. Mm-hmm. That's a great balanced approach in applying biblical justice. So that book is profound in understanding biblical justice. Another guy, he's my favorite preacher of all time, Gabriel Saguero. Um, he, he's in, he, he has an organization called NALIC, uh, National Association of uh man it's just a huge name national association of evangelical christians um latino evangelical christians and um he's just been a warrior and ambassador for immigration for years just listening to his sermons he spoke at our national conference uh, last october which was profound so i would say um read christians at the border from daniel carroll uh the generous justice from tim keller and then listen to sermons from gabriel saguero that's amazing. I, I really appreciate those uh, resources. And I think that um, that's definitely something that people that listen and, and watch our podcast will, will definitely appreciate as well. Uh, so, you know, my last question for you, um, uh, kind of around the, the topic of TIC specifically, is um, if you could leave one statement with somebody that's listening to this about, you know, immigration, border security, what, whatever it might be the, around the mission of TIC, what would that be? Yeah, I would say immigrants are people to love, not problems to solve. I mm. mean, that, that's one of the things I've, I've often said is immigrants are people to love, not problems to solve. Hey, I'm, I'm going to tweet that out. We got we to view them that way and, 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 uh, and care for them that way. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like that sounds like a retweet. <laughs> that's a that's a finger <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the last segment before we we're done for today is uh, we wanted to do a little rapid fire. So um, I'm gonna let Devon kick it off. Ask you the first question. Just a handful of questions. Uh, we we gotta cool. see where you stand. You know. So cool. I mean, you started off the show telling us about yourself so i'm gonna give you a real difficult question to start memphis barbecue or texas barbecue <laughs> i saw that in the run in the run through i was like that was a tough that was the toughest one when i looked you're gonna it. make somebody mad over, so let's go ahead i would say it. yeah i would say overall i would say overall memphis yeah that's that's where they have the 
that's where they have the world championships. I mean, when it comes to barbecue nachos, ribs, I mean, wings, they're just on a whole nother level. Now, Texas is really good with it. Texas is good with the brisket. Yeah. Memphis has tried Memphis has tried to copy that and they can't do it. Texas is good with the brisket, but the Memphis is barbecue, bro. I mean, that's off, off of question one, they're gonna run run you out of town. So you know, <laughs> let's hope the rest of the rapid fire go better. So so this is this is a separate question from the rapid fire question, but what's the best place to get barbecue in Memphis if it, if that's the best? Central barbecue. They're barbecue. They have barbecue nachos, bro. You can get pork nachos or like rib nachos or chicken nachos or turkey. My wife said turkey nachos. Chicken nachos. And you, you can put like a little bit of barbecue. You can put not, you they put nacho cheese, bro. Yeah, man. I'm dude. here for that. We about I, to do a road trip. Yeah, for real. So this. Yeah, question, man. I'm about to. I'm, I'm drooling over here, but I'm hungry. I, I know. Same. <laughs> So, so this I'm about, to, question, I'm, about to, I'm about to try to make my own barbecue nachos here in Texas in this house. There something. There you go. <laughs> this is a really important question for me. So, um, I'm half Puerto Rican, and I've lived in two states in my life: Kentucky and Indiana. Indiana is, a, is an improvement, but it's still not the same. I love Spanish food. I got to know what, in your opinion, is the best type of Spanish slash Latin American food out there? And what's your favorite yes, dish? The best Spanish food out there. I would I would probably have to say um, I'm Mexican-American, but man, I, I, I have my my wife has introduced me to so much because she's Guatemalan. She was born in Guatemala lived there for four years and then moved to El Salvador. Um, but man, I don't know if y'all ever had pupusas Mm-mm. before. Okay. That's probably my favorite. What Explain, what is it? So it's basically, I mean, you got like Mexican quesadillas, and then you, have, you put, you know, cheese and the tortillas on top, you know, and the cheese in the middle. But these pupusas are made in, like the cheese is made inside. It's like put inside. And it's it, over it basically is it's uh, a corn tortilla, but the way they make it is profound. And then they give you this tomato sauce that you put on top. Oh, bro, it's amazing, bro. I'm drooling. They're, they're profound. They're pro. You need to you need to Google when wherever y'all are. Y'all, there's some there's probably some Salvadorian restaurant that has pupusas. They're cheese pupusa. Um, mm. uh, what, that's the goodness of the Lord love, right there. That's what that's. We love the chicharron and cheese pupusas. Those are good, um, but I would say my favorite dish, like that, that's probably the best I've ever had. My favorite personal dish is probably uh, chicken enchiladas with rice and beans. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, okay. All right. Yeah. All right, Rondell. Man, y'all, 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 yeah, man. My, I know my wife's hungry. I know we're hungry. I'm gonna have to go get some Mexican food. Okay. <laughs> hey, okay. No, no more food. No more food questions right now, because because I'm starting to get. Uh, yeah, I'm ready to click done and go eat. So. <laughs> yeah, so we can't do that. Uh, what's what's the favorite place that you visited? My favorite place that I visited, Guatemala. I love Guatemala City. Is absolutely amazing. You know, along along the coast of Guatemala, uh, that's where they they have the most in the world, the most volcanoes. Oh, just ton. I mean, there was times I was flying into uh, close to El Salvador and we'd be flying in the clouds. We'd be over the clouds, but 
the tip of a few of the volcanoes would be over the clouds, just steaming. That don't sound safe. Now that don't sound That's, safe, dude. No, it ain't safe because not too long ago, I think what four or five years ago, one of the volcanoes exploded. Oh, yeah, man. but it's beautiful to like to see and just the scenery. Yeah. They have a jungle. Like Guatemala is a really nice, nice place. The city That's is awesome. really beautiful. Yeah, it's really nice. So where, if you could like live or vacation anywhere that you haven't been yet, where would that be? I would probably say uh, Italy. Okay. My wife and I, we, we talk about that often. She wants to travel the world one day, so. Me too. Uh, but she, she's mentioned Italy, so I'd, li- I'd like to go to Italy. Yeah, me too. I, I agree with that. That that'd be one of my like kind of like dream places too. Yeah, man. That'd be fun. I love Italian food too, so. Oh yeah. For real. All mm. right. So now you keep talking about food, bro. Hey, see, I, I try to get us off of the conversation. Y'all brought it back to food. I can't help it. I'm a big guy, man. Big Dave. I can't help it. That's what I'm saying. Trying to come on, focus, man. You got focus. All right, all right. Last (laughs) rapid fire question, Devin. Go ahead. All right. I need to know, Rondell, who is like the your favorite musician of any era, any genre? But like, like this musician, like you turn on any one of their songs, you about to belt it out in the car. Like it don't matter. You can scream it in front of like. I don't care if Obama's in your front in your face. You screaming it out in front of his face because this dude, this is your jam. Whoever this is, you need it. Like who who you who you rocking with? Man, that's tough, man. That's really hard. Um I love um Boys to Men. Oh shoot. They're, they're oh, like the greatest. Are, they're like the greatest. Oh yeah, they're and, like the greatest. Explains, you you a family man. You you a family man. That's all oh, I gotta yeah. say. <laughs> yeah, voice to men, bro. They, they hey, I love it. Drop the mic on that. He's a family man. That's what that means. <laughs> yeah, boys. <laughs> That's what that means. Boy, boy, boys to uh boys to men, man. But you know, I think the greatest singer of all time, like voice wise, is um which I, I I was asking my wife about what's his first name today and yesterday, but he's uh, the, the lead singer for Queen. Oh, uh, Freddie. Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Yeah. That dude had some struggles. That dude's voice was uh, absolutely was amazing. It, I mean, it's so, you know, when he sings, that's like, that's that dude. Like, yeah, nobody can sing like him. He had a profound voice, profound. I'm, I'm always fascinated when I hear his voice. From boys to men to queen, you, I mean, you, you're all over the place. Cultured. That's, that's good. That's culture right there. This man mm. said boys to men, Dave. That's, hey, that's, I'm not gonna lie. That's like top three highlights of this entire episode right there. <laughs> like, like, like IGTV I was, is gonna be that quote. <laughs> like, you, I mean, yep. I don't like to judge a book by its cover, but this book was not saying boys to men when I first started this podcast. <laughs> You thought I was gonna say like uh, the Kumbia Kings or uh... I, I don't know I don't know what you're gonna say but boys <laughs> hey boys the man that's that's a family that's a family group right there that's all you I thought got. you thought I was you thought I was gonna say Selena or something <laughs> like that 
You know what's funny is in the back of my head, I swear, I thought you were going to say, when you said, uh, who's the singer, I thought you were going to say uh, Selena too. I was, like, I, was like, I was like, please, please don't say Selena. Please don't. Quit, come on. Don't, don't, don't say that. <laughs> Man. She, she, was, she was solid, but yeah, she, she's not up there for me. Ronnie yeah, Elvis, voice to man. We uh, love having you on. We got to have you back on. Like, I feel like this is the first time I've met you. I always say this to my guests, but like, I feel like you, like anytime you come on the show, you're a homie. You're like, you're like another person at the table. So I really appreciate you coming on. We got to have you back on the show sometime and then I can make Yeah, you- let me know. I'd, I'd love to uh, be a part of it. This has been, I get asked to, to speak on a lot of podcasts. This has been one of my most enjoyable because I, I'm yeah. able to talk about sports a little bit and music. Yeah, I, I like say, how y'all, I, can make fun of you I like how y'all make Cowboys. Yeah, and one day when they win the Super Bowl, I'm gonna make sure I'm on the podcast. Oh, when they win the if they ever win the Super Bowl in my lifetime, I'm having every Cowboys fan that I've ever known in my life on the podcast <laughs> to celebrate. Uh, don't for, don't don't forget about those Dallas Mavericks and Luca either. Hey, hey, like him. The boy's cold. Yeah, real cold. He's slow. He he's as slow as a turtle and gets buckets. He's got old man game. He's got old man game. Yes. He does have that. He's got that uncle game. I like it. It's like it's like that'll last like, for a long time. Pierce. He's like a better. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, he's bigger too. So I appreciate y'all, man. That was fun. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I look forward to, you know, uh the continued partnership, as I said earlier, man. I, I, I can't wait to see us sell like maybe even two, three hundred shirts. I mean, I'm not trying to get greedy here with what we can sell, but I'm just saying a hundred is is our base. Like that's the floor in which we walk on. Like we want to go, Rondell. You got fifteen thousand Twitter followers. All right, we're gonna get to a hundred some kind of way. That's that's a fact. <laughs> I, I'll retweet for sure. For that's sure. a fact. I'm excited. So, I'm excited. Well, Rondell, we appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for being on the show, Devon. As always, my brother, I appreciate you. Um, until next time. Peace. Peace. Appreciate y'all. See you.